Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. All right, what's up, Jerry? Thanks so much for for talking to me. First of all, your setup is clearly right more advanced than mine. I got this weird <laughs> mic on the side of my head. No. Um, yeah, I appreciate flattery. you being here. Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate you having me on. This is a pleasure. Yeah. So, first of all, the way I I typically start these is just basically by addressing the elephant in the room, which is there's that day in March that everyone can remember, right, where our lives really change, right? especially college students. It's very obvious to us. And right for someone that's a recent graduate, probably particularly more poignant. And the the first thing I typically ask is just what was going through, you know, your mind when you realized that you would be spending so much time indoors? (laughs) Good question. Yeah, man, it's been a crazy year, I think, to, to, you know, not put it in. (laughs) I guess that's like really underselling it, right? Like it's been a crazy year. I think I, I started locking down like really early, like February. And part of that is because I'm, I'm Chinese, right? Like my family's Chinese. We have family in China. And even in January, there was like something going on. Something was going on. And we were like, eh, if this virus gets to the US, how, sh- how should we deal with it? How bad might it be? And so we were extra cautious, right? And I started locking down like late February. And then early March, my, my parents are actually over here in California, about a two, two hour drive away. And so I went to essentially visit them and uh, we just got quarantined together and I didn't leave the house for three months. <laughs> oh, so we were like really locked down all the groceries. We went out like once a month to get them. And then we just never went outside, like ne- literally never left the community. And so, yeah, it, it, that was a wild period. But at the same time, I'm one of those people who am pretty comfortable just being by myself and having time to sit in front of my laptop and, and be very introverted wasn't, I, I'm not one of those people who were dying to go outside or like, I really miss live events or I really miss hanging out with people in, in large crowds together. I'm not one of those people. I'm totally cool with just exploring the internet, doing some writing for fun, watching YouTube videos, reading and all that good stuff. So in a way, I think I was very well suited um, to be someone in lockdown for extended period of time. There is this nice quality about it in that we all, I don't, obviously the the pandemic happening is terrible and just particularly right in our country, we've lost over 200,000 people, but it it was, uh, in a sense, we got a reset button. For sure. And I think I'm similar to you in that I, um, didn't necessarily enjoy hanging out with in big crowds or anything like that. And I went to this YouTube in <laughs> spiral. <laughs> but during right quarantine, during March, you were a working, right? And yep. you come back and now all of a sudden you're with your parents, basically. <laughs> and so what has been the most challenging part of remote work for you? Yeah. So actually to put it in perspective, I've been working remotely for over two years now, just around two years. So actually when we did lockdown, I had already been working remotely for a year and three months or four months or so. So it wasn't like a huge adjustment to me. The company that I worked for at that time, were, we were like basically a startup incubator slash launch, launch company. And so we helped a lot of e-commerce startups, e-commerce like DSC e-commerce 
startups, like early stage founders launch their business ideas. And part of our team was in Toronto, part of our team was in LA, and one person was actually in, in NorCal. So we were already scattered across you know, North America. And we were already in the mindset of working uh, remotely. And so that wasn't a huge change for me. In fact, when I did lockdown, it was like, Oh, now I, now I have even a better excuse to never go to the office. <laughs> Cause yeah, everyone just took it home now. Um, we're all on Zoom anyway. So like we had the work cadence figured out. It wasn't something that we had to adjust to as a company or with our clients because they were already in that mood and in that zone. In terms of work, it wasn't a huge adjustment. It was mostly sucks that don't get to see friends in person all the time or mm-hmm. that we can't go out to eat. But then of course, to put everything in perspective, like those are very, those are not things that you should really be complaining about right in, in the big right. picture what's one of the things that helped you stay sane or has helped you stay sane for the past nine months yeah i, I think it was uh really important that i was with family because if i stayed at my own place and was just alone that would have sucked just to have no human interaction but being around three other people really helps also the fact that we had a yard. Like I, I could go out and get fresh air without being yeah. cooped up in like an apartment space, for example. So that definitely played a big part. And I could shoot on the basketball hoop outside. Like that, that was big. Those are really big. Otherwise, keeping in contact with friends, like over online, making sure that people are all doing well. And I think really fortunately, no one that's really close to me has gotten COVID or, or has a family member who has gotten it. So that, that was also awesome. And otherwise, we're just like learning of, or, or like, coming up with things to do, take up your time. I think I started writing much more this year, just sitting down and putting some of my thoughts to paper. And that was really helpful in like reflecting of my own life and thinking about how I think about things and thinking about the present, the past, and maybe the future in some cases. And uh, just doing a lot of like introspection really helped. This is a a difficult question, but what is you talk about writing a lot and writing, obviously it shows you very painfully what you don't know because you have to put it into words. How did you like feel, what was the experience of writing and of articulating those thoughts? And, and then after writing, if that makes sense, how did, cause, cause we mentioned writing as a sort of coping mechanism. So I'm just trying to understand how writing basically made you feel and helped you understand and and build a better relationship with yourself, basically. For sure. I think writing is really helpful in clarifying thoughts, right? So like throughout the day, as I'm just existing, (laughs) I'll just have all these different thoughts in my head. I'm constantly thinking about all sorts of random shit. And writing makes me have to focus. I have to focus on a particular subject. So if I'm thinking about 10 different things and typically nine of the 10 are just like junk thoughts, but maybe one of the 10, oh, that's pretty interesting there. And I can expand upon that little idea. But if you don't have a structure to think about a particular idea, you're still just floating around right in that space. Writing makes you have to nail down on one or two points that are the most important to you. So for example, if I'm thinking about hobbies, for example, right, what makes a hobby, what makes something worth pursuing or worth putting my time on, then you really have to like, you could go so many ways with that because everyone has a lot of hobbies. You have things that you do just completely for fun. You have things that you do that has some utility and then is productive beyond just pleasure. And so writing about 
a topic like hobbies, you really have to nail down which direction you're going into in, in that particular piece. Obviously, you can write many pieces about all the different things, but if you're just talking about one spe- specific piece, you have to nail down on, on one, one topic. And so that's really good in that it gives you focus on how you think about things. And then only when you have that focus, can you dive really deep into it? Can you remove all of the excess scattered thoughts that aren't as important and really clarify what you truly believe and explore? Is that belief something real or was it just this passing thought that with more context, you're realizing uh, that that doesn't actually make sense? So it's really helpful in terms of figuring out if a thought that you have makes sense or not. And that's a big part of introspection, right? That's why writing is so important to me because I do have a lot of thoughts and I'm a, I assume, and, and it's probably true that most of them are wrong. And so by writing, I can really narrow down on a few that I do believe in. Yeah. One of the things that I would probably take out of that is just writing shows you what's important to you, right? Yeah. Because that's the case. And yeah, it's difficult sometimes, right? I'm interested in, there's these two different things that we can do. We can write for ourselves or we can write for other people. And I'm interested in like where that line is because what's the difference between a diary versus a Substack, something like that. So you obviously started a Substack and you called it just for fun. And I would love to talk more about also what the motivation for that was in terms of just for fun in some way seems like a reaction to a lot of people really emphasizing productivity when I think that there's, you know, probably other more important things to focus mm-hmm. on out there. So actually to clarify, the Substack is called uh, Curious Human. It, it was just one of the articles was called Just for Fun. But I think it's interesting that you make the distinction between a Substack and writing a diary. So actually yeah. my Substack is, I'm only using Substack for the platform, for a way for me to publish very easily. Otherwise, it the content that I'm actually writing is essentially what I would write in a personal blog or, or a diary in a way. So I'm just sharing uh, thoughts that I have. There's no particular audience I have in mind for it. There's no niche. Can Sorry, there's someone showering. Can you hear that or no? <laughs> a little bit, but go ahead. Go okay, ahead. okay. Sorry. And there, there's no niche that I'm really focused on. And so there's really no like pressure for me to cater to a certain audience or a certain topic that I have to write about. It's mostly just free flowing thoughts. And if I have a a good one that I want to expand upon, and there are things that I can relate to a personal experience, for example, to add some context or depth or some perspective, that's really, that's really all I have to go on to, to write a piece and finish it. So in a way, like my writing is completely as a hobby, right? There's no, there's no objective to turn it into a side hustle, for example, to make money from it, to to go viral. No, it, it's just for me. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I think maybe the distinction would be perhaps a journal and a newsletter or something like that. But even that's sort of tenuous. But I think it's, I think it's so easy to get caught up in it. I think, right, Substack really pushes their monetization features, for mm-hmm. example. And... And it is easy to think about because it's a great idea. Oh, what if this blew up? Something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think long term, right? Like even in terms of, and we can dive deeper into like brand building or like building a personal brand. In a way, like writing is sharing authentic thoughts. And if other people, and there are enough of them, enjoys a particular person's thoughts, then they can subscribe to that person as like a, 
idea creator or like a thought curator. And so in a way, right, one of the reasons why I started Substack, otherwise, uh, you know, other than it being really easy to sign up and just start writing and, and publishing, was that if there were people who enjoyed my scattered various non-niche thoughts that are all over the place and they want more of my thoughts on various things, then that's a really easy way to get my writing straight to your inbox. But it was never the objective, right? Like the objective was never to get a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million subscribers. But I think though it is important to, I think it is important to like really be authentic when creating content and sharing it. And I do believe that as there's more and more content created. So like every other person in my circle has a newsletter or a podcast or a blog or something of that nature nowadays. And there's so much information around. And so like really what will stick out in the future is just people being authentic and and delivering their own unique perspectives on things. And the people with the most interesting perspectives or opinions or expertise in things will be the ones who stick out, in my opinion. So in a way, I think that's the future of content creation and blog writing. As long as it's not focused like on a particular like industrial or business concept right. or, or niche. If you're just writing about ideas, being authentic and having your unique perspective is your niche in a way, right? That is your niche. Mm. Um, and, and people yeah. to, to follow that, essentially you are building <laughs> in a certain direction in a way. So it's almost like a catch 22, right? It's like, uh, I'm not trying to be in a particular niche, but I think in the future, not being a niche and just being yourself will be a reason to follow someone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we certainly see it. I was reading something about music the other day that said a similar thing. To what extent do we, Kid Cudi just came out with a new album, right? To, to mm-hmm. what extent are people listening to that? Because they're excited about the music versus they're excited about Kid Cudi. And there's right, a difference, right. right? It's the artist that's probably driving um, the majority of that. And and there was another idea that you touched on, which is just this guy I follow on Twitter, Stepan Purusheville. It was actually a quote tweet, but it was so beautiful that I literally, I wanted to frame it somewhere. But he wrote, given the high dimensionality of life, everyone can be in the top 1% of just being themselves. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was great. And I think you probably appreciate that too, just because sure. it's exactly what we were just talking about. Because it's interesting that you can just share a part of yourself, right? That's a representation of Jerry that lives out there in the world. And people have the ability to engage with that, interact with that. They can comment it, like it, but they can also subscribe to the RSS feed, subscribe to your newsletter. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so interesting. Like it's just there, right? There's no particular goal for it. It's just, right. It's just there. <laughs> I, I also love the idea of uh, if you build it, they will come. And and there are there are many like backers of the idea. Also, there are, there are many. Like, yeah, there are people who say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you create something good on the internet and you share it, people will find it. And I have found that, you know, to be true in a lot of cases. Obviously, it would serve you well to propel it, right, in a certain way, like to buy ad traffic to it or get eyes to it in a certain proactive way, if that's your goal. But I think eventually, in the long term, good content is what will be most important as opposed to the short term. Oh, I got, you know, a few eyes on my work or a few ears to listen to my music, et cetera. Yeah. The beautiful thing about it is, and I wish I took more of an attitude towards my work in this way is that, right. If if a lot of people look at it, that's great. If no one looks at it, that's fine. And I'll just keep writing either way. And I think that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of me feels like good content is actually scarce, right? 
that the internet is just clog full of just random garbage that's so SEO'd outright of people just throwing in random keywords to get to the top of Google search rankings that we actually miss the actual message. And, and so to get there, you have to go to the individual, right? I wouldn't necessarily find your Substack if I went looking for particular keywords that you might have used, because as you said, it's like a random collection of thoughts. But if I went particularly, I was looking for, hey, what did Jerry create? Then I would find what I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's like the battle that content creators fight with themselves, right? Because in the short term, all of those growth hacky techniques, and I hate that term, but growth hacking techniques work right? Like to, to go for keywords that rank high, to, to do all the SEO and, and SEM strategy, like that stuff works. And if you don't do that in the short term, you're no matter how good your work is, it might just be buried right, underneath all of that. But I, I do think there's something to be said for creating for the sole purpose of just creating good, valuable content, or like a good, valuable product or service. That's what's really going to last the test of time. Mm-hmm. And even just the term content creator, I, I've talked about it with someone else. I, I hate that term. It sounds like you're just churning stuff out there. And actually, I don't know if you would use this term, but I, I like to think of these people as artists, right? They're, they're, right. It's literally their art. It's a representation of them that exists in the world. And so I, I think content creator is just terribly reductive in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Everything, everyone who creates content is just creating it for I'm not going to say everyone, but mo- most people to, to be able to create something consistently and, and for a long duration of time, you have to enjoy it. You, know, you, you can't just force yourself to write something that you don't want to write about repeatedly hundreds of times. It's, that's just you know, not realistic. And so at the end of the day, yes, I, I do believe that content creators at, on some level are all artists mm-hmm. to some degree. And and one of the things that I've noticed in particular, probably you've noticed during this time that you already mentioned is that it's getting so much easier to create content. Substack makes it darn easier. You, you go, you hit a post, yep. it, it'll handle everything. It'll get it in the subscribers' mailboxes. It'll make it look all pretty on the page. And you can focus on what's important, which is writing. And there's so many other tools like that, right? I'm going to record this Zoom conversation, use a tool, right? Clip out all our filler words, make both of us look good, <laughs> and right. then put it on Anchor, which lets me host podcast audio for free. And it wasn't that easy to host like one hour of audio in the past. If I right. put one hour of audio on my website, I would have the slowest dang website in the whole world. Yeah. Forget the ease of it. It, it wasn't even the ease. It was just that you were, it was impossible. If you're in, for example, in sports media and you, you want to talk about basketball all day, good luck not being on ESPN or being employed by Fox Sports and, and getting your word out. There's no way for you to do that. You know what I mean? No matter how badly you want to do it or how good your takes were, there's just no platform for you. And like you said, now anyone with an internet connection and a laptop or a phone, we can all share whatever snippet of, of life that we want to share with the world. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you mentioned basketball specifically, because I just had a conversation two days ago with Kieran and we talked about uninterrupted, right? LeBron James's uh, athlete empowerment brand, which did exactly that, right? It said, we don't need it, it viewed. And I think uh, certain startup founders who get bad press are starting to view, or, or maybe just all startup founders are starting to view it this way is that there's legacy media companies that create content about businesses. But all those businesses now have all the tools, all the athletes have their own megaphone. Right. And we, we walk around with it all day and we call it a phone. And so why not just use that to, right, to, to tell go directly? Who we are. Right. Yeah. No need for the middleman. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's kind of part of, uh, 
we don't have to dive too deep into basketball, but that's part of Kyrie Irving's take that we don't need to talk to these journalists who interview us. Like I, I can get my message out on Instagram live on my own account, whatever I truly believe in, want to say, I'll use my own platform to, to do that. Yeah. And to that extent, you know how the NBA actually is a business because they do force players to talk to the media because they do want right to create that, as we said, content, because that's what drives engagement. That's what drives sales. And it's so interesting because I, I think there's been this one pendulum shift that we're just talking about right now, which is uh, legacy media. It's so interesting that the New York Times is like making movies now, but you go from legacy media, then you go to a, a more micro level, which is Instagram, we could even put Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, literally Twitter. Yeah. And and then you can even get to this next level in which every single person owns every single piece of content about them themselves. We don't mm -hmm. interact with any private company and you just pay them for those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think like talking about the future of media and, and the future of how ideas spread, I, I think that's going to happen in the next few years or if not really depends on how quickly technology changes, but I don't think it'll take very long for us to get to that point. It's really just when do the traditional mediums phase out because all of the people with these valuable ideas are, are choosing to create themselves and share it themselves. It's really just a matter of time, in my opinion. One of the questions that we struggle with as a country is obviously, right, we see... Uh, I think this is the point of view of maybe one particular political ideology, but I, I think there is a, a certain section of people who get really upset, right? Because now that everyone has, again, this megaphone, that anyone can say whatever they want and get a falling for it. And and so right now we've seen increasing calls for, for censorship, which is detrimental for other reasons. But the interesting thing there is, and as we talked about it, just that practice of writing, just that practice of articulating yourself and putting content out there is valuable for an individual in that it helps them better define what they're interested in and what they care about. Yeah. And so I actually think it's a phenomenal thing for the world when we're all getting to know ourselves better. We're all being able to share more parts of ourselves. And so technology is humanizing all of us in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It would, I think it's, it would be ideal if everyone had the platform to share their own thoughts and to put the responsibility of what is right and what is true and, and what is false in the hands of the readers or the people who are consuming that information, as opposed to the suppliers of the information having a say. And that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that could be a very complex moral discussion <laughs> that we could have. And it could go into the Facebook and what is true, what is not, what should be spent censored, what shouldn't. But ideally, it just from a personal level, I, I would agree with having everyone with the ability to share whatever views they want, whether it's right or wrong, as, as long as they want to share it. And then just put the responsibility of verifying that information or, or belief up to the readers, up to the people who absorb the content. The idea of verifying is a tricky point, obviously. People struggle with that all the time. Yeah. And people complain, obviously, right? If your Twitter account gets banned or something like that, you're like, why the heck did this happen? And it's probably because content creation at that scale is just such a difficult problem. Mm -hmm. But the f the flip side of it is, and, and we can, to some extent, get into that discussion you mentioned, just because I think we obviously both understand that most of what we do relies on algorithmic curation, right? Mm -hmm. Our Google page rank our Twitter feeds, our Instagram feeds. And so if, if you change that whole model and, and we all just 
go directly to whatever sources of news that we care about, then you cut everyone out in the way. And hopefully good content does bubble to the top (laughs) in that case. Yeah. uh, This is a, it's a very layered conversation. At first glance, you might be like, oh, that'd be great because all the good content would just rise to the top and people would only listen to the the good stuff. But of course, humans are much more complex than that. And they're, they're, I I think messages can be very easily manipulated if the person who's delivering that message wants to. And as someone who works in marketing and growth, like this is something that I'm very aware of because I'm always trying to affect the perception of how people view whatever ad I'm putting out or whatever copy I'm putting out. And so in in that way, I'm also pessimistic (laughs) about the idea of all the content just being out there and, and people exploring for themselves. But it's hard to stop that, right? As technology can continues to advance and people can, as we mentioned, share their own ideas without the need of some other governing body or, or middleman, then that's just going to slowly be how information is shared and how information is, is consumed. It's going to be very tough for those people who want to control the messages to remain grasp of that control. And obviously, to, to your point, there are people who can come and subvert messages obviously, right? There are latent tendencies in in humans that these bad impulses that lead to situations that aren't mutually advantageous for people. But I think one thing that that I think about, and, and I'm interested for your thoughts on, is that we have this quarantine, everyone goes inside. And so this aspect of community completely changes. And one of the ways in which we've seen the world go more micro is just online communities, right? Right. A lot of people focusing on, and and the way that I think about it, which is, I'm realizing maybe a pretty abstract sense, but I think about it as people engaging in new realities. And to some extent, those new realities can feed back onto our physical reality, which is actually a really cool thing that we can also talk about. But just Mm -hmm. what what are your thoughts on this whole shift towards online communities? And what have you personally noticed in terms of, people, how engagement has changed? Because most of our engagement now is, is you know, pretty much online. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the idea first and foremost. So I, I actually, I just did a fellowship with On Deck, uh, the writer's fellowship. And I just, that, that was my, I guess, one of my more recent involvements in some online community kind of thing. And uh, it was awesome. I got to meet a lot of new people virtually, of course, like no one in person. But I didn't feel as though there was a disconnect in terms of building relationships just because we were on Zoom calls or just because we were talking through Slack, right? The fundamental aspect of sharing ideas and talking about ourselves and connecting as, as humans, that, that was still very much intact, even in just a pure online setting. I think in that regard, I'm very optimistic about the, the future of building various online communities and just meeting people online in general. I don't think that it's, we're in a bad place just because a quarantine happens or, or because we can't meet people and new people in person. But on the topic of communities, though, again, with the same idea that how information can be transmitted very easily from just individuals, like I think there's never been a better time to start the mindset of meeting people online and connecting to people around the world that you wouldn't otherwise meet or just walking on the street or in your local areas. And with that comes a lot of 
expanding your worldview and, and perspective on a lot of things, just because information can be shared so quickly now between people and perspectives can be shared so quickly that, you know, I learned so much more from, in a way, yeah, I learned so much more from being in, in online circles than I do from in-person ones. Just because the people that you interact with day-to-day in person, is just, we all live in the same area, we go to the same restaurants, like we have similar lifestyles. You don't get that change in perspective to really open up your world for your challenge, your, your typical day-to-day ideas. And so with the rise of online communities, that's a huge benefit in, in my opinion. Like you can talk to someone in Asia right now, you can talk to someone in Europe who's just going through a completely different today situation, right? Like talk, talk about quarantine, people's lives here and people's lives across the, the, uh, the Pacific Ocean were very different. And it was really you know, eye-opening to talk to someone about how, how they were living day-to-day and their perspectives on things. So I think that's a huge plus just to expand uh, beyond what your typical circle is. Yeah, it's, I think what you said is really cool because that's one of the things that I think about, particularly in, in maybe reading. And it's, that's maybe my analogy is that the, the best, best books I ever were the ones that fundamentally challenged my worldview, completely reshaped the way that I thought about things. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say a similar thing for a great relationship, right? It sounds like the, the and another cool thing that's happening is like the whole world is just becoming one big city. And so it'll be interesting what that means in terms of career and specialization. And maybe we can talk about that too. But one of the things that I, I wonder about is just the nature of that engagement. I think maybe in in-person interaction, there's a lot of small talk that we, we don't necessarily get to the, the heart of the matter sometimes. And online, right, I've seen people be very honest about their identity, be very honest about what they care about. And so I've, you know, had a lot of interactions online on, on Twitter and in like different online communities that I felt were a lot more genuine than some of my in-person interactions. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I think because you're, and this also goes back to writing, right? Like why writing is important because to put something so when you speak after I say a word, it's just gone, right? Like it's in both of our memories and we know that we said it, but it's gone. <laughs> so in, in a way, you don't have to be as uh, precise when you speak, but if you're writing or you're sending a text message or a Slack mm-hmm. message to someone, before you press enter, you got to be like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Like what I'm sending makes sense because the, you have time to A, think about it before you send it. You have time to proofread it, word it in the best way possible. And so in, in that way, it makes sharing ideas through writing much more efficient because all the ideas are uh, clear. Like they've been proofread a few times. They're not just the first draft. They're probably a few iterations in. Yeah, I, I like that. I guess the intentionality of it is completely different. People are actually thinking about what they, what they want to say, what they want the other person to feel. That's something I didn't even think about. Actually, I think that's a great observation. Especially yeah, since it's I something mean, that we've been talking about. <laughs> it's so like typically, right? For most people, I would assume that something that they share uh, in a blog post is probably more well thought out than someone, than what they're just talking about if you meet them at a party or something. Like the first stream of thought that they have. Just because they've thought to put out a paragraph, you have to think about each sentence in that paragraph over and over again to finally publish it. And so usually written content is just more concise and more accurate to what the author was trying to trying to say. And part of me is just wondering if whether this whole phenomenon has to be localized to writing. What if you brought the same intentionality that you brought when you wrote 
to when you spoke, but that's, so Oh different. yeah. Well, those people are called good speakers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if you could speak like as precisely as you wrote, as, as you wrote, oh man, then you're, you struck gold <laughs> as a public speaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm definitely not there yet. But, yeah. Me neither. Um, <laughs> me neither. But it's, it, it's a tremendous shift, I guess. Is it, and to get back to what you said about a blog post for someone speaking at a party, right? I would reckon that someone cared a lot more about that blog post, right? If we truly go down that rabbit hole of saying, I treat this as my art versus- Yeah, there's more responsibility to it. And so there's more thought put into it, usually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, versus a fleeting conversation at a party. But it's not feasible for someone to do all their communication via written messages. And eventually this pandemic will be over. We will come back. What are the ways, this is again, another tough question. What sort of things do you think would, will carry over or what sort of things do you hope do carry over about the way that the nature of work and communication have changed over these nine months? Yeah. So I do hope that we remain. So one, one thing that remote work has helped with is flexibility, right? People being able to uh, organize uh, their schedules and, and figure out what they want to do uh, when they want to do it. I think that's something that's helped a lot. And I hope we don't lose that once we go back to non-quarantined, where I think people work better when they're working when they want to work under their own hours, as opposed to being forced to do something um, or pretend to do something <laughs> at, at a certain period of time uh, in their schedules. So I, I think like flexibility is something that we that continues to be around. I do think like the idea of written communication as we were discussing is important. So, and this is even something that I observed when I was working in, in public accounting. I was working in a corporate environment where we were in an office and usually you would think, hey, if I had a question that I wanted to ask one of my coworkers, I would just go up and go to their desk or cubicle and ask them. No, actually in reality, we type <laughs> messages to each other on whatever online application we were using just because... A, we didn't want to bother them. Like we didn't know if they were busy, but B, because that, as we were talking about, that form of uh, communication is just very clear, right? If I have a question on something very specific and I want to ask a manager about it, I don't just want to walk to them and have to stumble through what I understand or don't understand. I want to frame the question very clearly so they can respond in the most efficient manner when they see my question. And like, in a way, I do hope that uh, a lot of the online questions or, or like online communication continues. There, there are some things I think like for creative work, it's very important to be in person and just jam because you get that sense of like just bouncing ideas off each other. You don't want to be precise when you're doing something creative. You want to think outside the box. And the only way to do that is to not place boundaries or like expectations on what ideas you're coming up with. But if you're trying to get like a less like a, a more sh- straightforward answer on a particular topic, it's probably better to go through a medium that's more controlled and, and you have to think a few times before you, you send a message out. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? Yeah, I, I think you. one of the things you pointed out was obviously that when you guys were even in person, right, you respected the intentionality or you respected the clarity that came with being forced to write messages to each other. Yeah. And... I think that's definitely a, a great thing to carry over. I think just a, but the other thing that you actually mentioned that I thought was 
or seemed a little bit cooler to me was just the idea of asynchronous work and people being able to design their work around their lives versus what's typically the other way around. And it's so interesting because we don't, right, for, I don't know, even know how long, but we've always measured productivity through hours worked. Mm-hmm. And right, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like personally, I'm only super effective for two or three hours a day. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean I can't work for longer than that, but I think right, focused, constant, positive work is only really two or three hours a day, right? Yep. This idea of a nine to five, I, I think, is starting to feel increasingly outdated, and yet we don't yet have the infrastructure for asynchronous work. Mm-hmm. So I completely share what you said about this idea of flexibility and hoping that we retain the flexibility going forward. Cause I think it would really change our lives. I, I, you mentioned, right. That you had your family with you throughout COVID. I've been at home for the last nine months too. And I, I know that our relationships, my relationship with every single member of my family has gotten deeper because we've spent more time together. And I think that's just one of the things from asynchronous work that I personally hope, right, stays on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a big part of it. Like I think, at least for me personally, the two to three hours of like very focused, productive work is much more useful. And and I get so much more done than if I just sat at a desk and painfully or like half-heartedly worked for eight, nine hours. Because it, it all feeds into each other too. If you're not completely focused, and productive and half-heartedly doing something like a, the efficiency is not there, but even when you do get a break, that break doesn't replenish you or it doesn't, (laughs) that, that rest period doesn't work the same as well. It's not as effective um, as well. And so like, just, just bad all around. (laughs) I'd rather, it's almost like the old adage, like you have to play hard, work hard. Like when you are working, be very focused on the work so that you do get the most out of that time. And also the hours that you're not working when you are playing, you're like really focused on playing and you're you're getting the most out of that. As opposed to just 24 seven, you're half playing, half working. (laughs) Like that's like where you exactly where you don't want to be. Where like the playing isn't fun and the work isn't productive. Yeah. Especially for creative work. We talked about it. I, I think one of the things that I'm trying to get better at is actually just focusing on doing nothing, like doing absolutely nothing. I find that's so useful. Yeah. Um, for, for so many different reasons. And I think there are certainly, you know, studies that show that downtime is intellectually useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. for sure. So yeah, like the flexibility really helps with that, right? Because you can choose those specific times and th- those hours that you are focused on the work uh, and you don't think about play and you can maximize both ends of that spectrum. It, yeah, I think one of the reasons, and that's actually going to be my, my next question. One of the things that I'm so excited about is just to see how this plays out, right? How the 2020s play out in terms of, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it, people calling it the remote work decade. I'm, I'm really interested in what that means because I think there's uh, tremendous positives to in-person work, right? As you mentioned, creative work is great to be in person, but I think there are aspects of remote work and, and asynchronous work that we can try to work in to really reshape how you know people end up living their lives. Yeah, I do think there needs to be a balance. And I think slowly throughout the years, we'll figure out what that balance is. So right now we're all the way skewed to remote work because we have to be. And then slowly, we'll, as we get more, as the vaccine comes out and we're able to work in person, like slowly we'll integrate ourselves more and back to quote unquote normal life. And it, it might be a, 
like for some companies, I know that they're planning on going back, right, to, to the full office nine to five work lifestyle. And there'll probably be some pushback on that from some of the people who are very happy working, working from home and having that flexibility. So it might swing slightly towards the other way too much in the beginning for some companies. And slowly they'll find their way back to the right point in the middle. Uh, between complete flexible remote work and, and in-person work. And then some other companies might be like, oh, we went 2020. We, were, we did really well as a company in 2020 and, and the remote work is awesome. And slowly they'll find that some of their employees over time are slacking at home or <laughs> they're not working as hard because some of their flexibility is, is leading into them having less structure and, and less discipline in a way. And then they'll have to enforce some more structure around their, their, their work cultures. But I think, yeah, it'll take some time to adjust to for every company and find like what works best for the people in their organization. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think I'm definitely a person that relies on a lot of structure, but my experience is that my, I know my parents are actually working way more now that they're they're at remote. And, and so that's another thing that needs to be probably looked at, right? Are people actually working as, as much as they should be? <laughs> Work should not mean 80 hour weeks, but yeah. it'll be interesting. Yeah. So the last question I, I always ask in all my interviews, and we've talked about it a little bit, but what excites you the most for the future? Damn, there's no, no, this is completely open-ended. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, say whatever you want. What excites me the most about the future? Honestly, man, I, I think as, as technology improves, and as, as we mentioned, this is, let's move it back to the beginning where we talked about how everyone will soon have a platform to showcase their ideas. I think that's awesome for leveling the playing field of opportunity in the world. Mm. Like that's huge. And as much as the as much as we've progressed in the last few years with the internet, it's still not a level playing field. There's still so many locations in the world where people don't have the the chance to showcase their talent and abilities. And I look forward to a future where they can do that. And everyone, no matter where you are, no matter your background, you're given a chance to share your ideas online to share your work online, to be able to have other people appreciate your special, unique gifts. So that, that's a, I, I guess that's something that I'm really looking forward to. And we're getting there. We're getting closer. Every day we're getting closer, but uh, we're still not there yet. Even, even now, and then we can go into a lot of like the, talk about like the racial discourse or how different cultures are, are viewed upon, even in countries as established like the US, right? As those traditional kind of barriers are broken, where people are making the judgments as to who gets an opportunity and who doesn't. And that whole thing becomes more decentralized. It'll just create a, a much more fair and, and just system where, you know, anyone can just rise because of their merit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've loved about this conversation is I've done, as I mentioned to you, I actually think this is the 22nd one, but I've done 21 uh, other of these conversations where constantly we talk about decentralization or, or those are the themes and power, the internet moving power from institutions to individuals. And mm -hmm. you're actually the first person to make this point of what it means for democratizing access. We hear this phrase, opportunity or talent is equally distributed, but opportunity isn't, right? right? The majority of most VC funding goes to blue states. And, and so... What does that mean for the world we want to live in, right? Is that the sort of world we want to live in or, or do we want to live in a world where we truly let the people who have the most beneficial ideas, right? Where there are really no curators and where we have that level playing. Mm -hmm. 
I love that idea. You're actually the first person I've heard mention a living playing field because as it gets more decentralized, I think that's where we're headed. As excited as you are about that, I think if someone were to ask me that question now, I think that's probably what I'm, I'm most excited about too. <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. I've had so many personal experiences with this too. That there's so <laughs> there's so there there are different types of people all around the world, and and some some of them are great, some of them aren't. But like the more that you talk to people in in, in different places or different backgrounds, the more you realize that talent is everywhere. It truly is, and, and it always amazes me. Like, wow, you know, I'm always impressed by so many people. Let, let's just say that, and I wish that they they had more of a platform to share who they were and and what value they could contribute because uh, that would just make the world a much better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love this because I think at its core, the idea is positive sum thinking, which obviously, right, Eric Tornberg, the guy who started on deck talks about often. So I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that idea, yep. but it's just right. We can all get ahead as a society, as individuals, just by enriching other people and by bringing everyone forward. And then part of it is that, right? Giving people a platform to express their unique thoughts. Exactly. So it'll be tremendous to see where that change takes us. But Jerry, I, I really love this conversation. It's always great when you ping uh, a stranger out of the blue and they have yeah. so many amazing ideas to share with you. So I, I really appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you so much, Rajiv. All right. Thanks so much, Jerry. Take care, man. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.